Welcome to the first multimodal podcast edition of、uh, Multimodal Learning. I am Chad Schoen, director of the Multimodal Education Center. I'm Delena Brecken, and senior instructional technologist for Multimodal Learning. And、um, so we decided to do a podcast so that we can get quick, easy information out. Subscribe to it. Listen to it on your way home, or at the gym, wherever really that you can get a podcast, and、um, provide a little bit more accessibility to us and get a little more information out to you. Yes, absolutely.、Yeah. This is our first ever multimodal podcast.、Right. So hopefully, in the future, we'll be doing this every two weeks.、Um, you can subscribe. Uh, we will get that information. How to subscribe to you? We'll start it、um, probably on Central Today. Okay. Because I know everybody reads Central Today, <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll put it in the second most used mode of communication: the email. Oh, I think the second most used is、uh, our web page. Do you think so? Yeah. I mean, I'm being sarcastic. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> But、uh, yeah, I think we'll probably post it there. Yeah. So the focus,、uh, the way that I,、uh, we've envisioned it, is we will have a few segments that will be on a weekly basis.、Uh, the first one we'll always start with are some new information about any new Canvas features or、um, things that faculty should know about immediately. Yeah. So the first segment that we'd like to bring out within our Multimobile podcast would be the "What's New with Canvas," and then、um, following shortly after that will be a segment that we call "Ask an Instructional Technologist" or "Stump the Chump." Nope, we're not calling it that.、Um, and we hope to do on a regular basis interview a faculty member about their use of technology in the classroom,、um, best practices, any innovations, things that they would like to share with. The faculty community at Central Washington University. Yeah, and I was happy to interview our first guest, Bruce Palmquist,、uh, the chair for physics and、uh, astronomy. So, what? I was highlighting also his teaching philosophy. Oh, okay. But we can cut that out. Is that what you were trying to point at me? It was.、Yeah. All right, I didn't catch that. We'll also do app reviews. So the app of the episode. Oh right, app of the episode, and this week's app is Panopto, which is our lecture capture system for Central Washington's faculty. And then I hope we end each of our multimodal podcasts with a promotion going on at the Multimodal Education Center. Have a few silly beans in the mix. I think that silly beans are what you're kind of all about, Delena. I've collected a few silly beans over the years, but what I <laughs> want to talk about <laughs> primarily is、mm. what's new, Fall 2018. What is new? Well, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. This term, we were able to work some magic in the back end of the canvas, and. Go back to combining course sections. Are you going to say it like that, like a buttery voice, right?、There? I'm saying it like that <laughs> with all that jazz. Uh huh. Yep. Well, what does that mean? What that means is that 
you can teach from one Canvas course, even if you have multiple sections of that same course. So you have a section one, section two, but you only have to populate the one Canvas course. Course sections in Canvas are automatically combined if these three criteria all match. The course has the same ID, like English 101. It's taught by the same instructor and with the same teaching modality, so online or face-to-face. -face. Those course sections will automatically be combined, and then faculty can differentiate assignments. And the thing is that you say, oh, well, but, but my section one is Monday, Wednesday, and my section two is Tuesday, Thursday. Well, you can differentiate assignments so that the people in section one are due on Wednesday, and the people in section two are due on Thursday. Ah, so there is some practical benefit right off the bat. Right, and you can filter your gradebook by section so that at the end of the term or throughout the term as you're grading, you want to just easily see the people in one section. Boop, boop, boop. Filter. Boop. View. Boop. Streamline. <laughs> I hope that you're adding the sound effects to Canvas so that everyone gets experiences the boops. Yes, there'll be boops and bops and <laughs> the cream or the cherry on top, as they say, is no FERPA violations. That's where it's at. That's right? what we're talking about right here. F-E-R-P-A, <laughs> FERPA, FERPA. Okay. <laughs> what else is there new to Canvas that people should be aware of this uh, coming in the next two weeks? Well, and I'm sure they noticed when they logged in, when they went to their gradebook, it's new. Yep, so a new just overall interface. Um, same functionality. It just might, it just looks a little different. So you can't just click the same place and find the speed grader. You got to click a little bit differently to find the speed grader. So the main highlights with the new gradebook are that you can now arrange the columns by assignment, due date, points, modules, and those changes that you set will persist. You can also add custom columns for non-submission or on paper assignments, which is kind of cool. And you can sort and filter display names. The nice thing is that there's a way you can set up late policy so that uh, late policy grading, mm -hmm. so it's automatic. Okay. So that's kind of a new feature of the new gradebook. Okay, so now on uh, the next segment of Multimobile. Oh. <laughs> I can see that you're excited already. Ooh, is, is, is this the Stump the Chump no, segment? No, not called Stump the Chump. It is called Ask an Instructional Technologist. Oh, right, sure. Right? Okay, That's sure. the formal uh -huh. title. All right. Um, so question number one is, where is my Canvas course? This is the most requested question. Uh, question that you get at the beginning of every term from mainly students. Yeah, but faculty have also been known to ask this question themselves. All right, so Delena, where is my Canvas course? Well, I don't even know where to start with this one. No, I love to answer this question, you know, over and over and over <laughs> We're again. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. So, 
you're a student and you registered for the course today, mm -hmm. you won't see it in Canvas until tomorrow okay. because the process of updating Canvas is done every morning in the wee hours of the morning before the robins got up and eaten its worms. All right, now I'm cutting that part out too. Okay, so, so that's one bit. Another thing that happens, both for students and for faculty, is that they have customized their dashboard in their courses area by starring specific courses so that only they show up on the dashboard. If you've customized your dashboard and then you get a new course added, it's going to come on your course list, but it will not be favorited or starred. Gotcha. So it shows up. You have to go to courses and then all courses to add it to your dashboard. And one other thing that's typical for students, the reason they can't see their course. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. This is actually the biggest reason that students call you yes. is because... Faculty haven't published the course. Right. Your course is not published, so it's not showing on your dashboard. You can go into all courses and see that it's there, but it's not published. And students will not have access to that course until it is published by the faculty. I can't publish your course. You I won't. Shouldn't. I won't I publish won't your course, it, yeah. but I'll call you up. Yes, you will. Mm. So um, because this is the first time for Ask Instructional Technologists, we have a two-parter. So Ooh. that was the first question. Okay. So I'm, the second I'm question primed. is, I'm primed. I'm ready. how do I make my course available to a student with an incomplete? Oh, thank you for asking that question again. Well, so you wrote it down. Oh, I wrote it down. Yes. Well, thank you, Delena. Um, <laughs> so if the course is still active, you know the student is failing, the best thing to do is when you know the student is failing your class and, and you assume or you've even negotiated with them that they will be receiving an incomplete, the best thing to do at that moment is to create a new section for them within the course and set the dates that you're going to allow them access to the course. So that's before the term ends and before the course concludes. Okay? okay. So that's, that's number one. Now let's say that's already come and gone. You did say they could have an incomplete, but now it's the new term. The old course is closed. You're going to have to request access from myself or Joy Bensiger, my colleague, um, and then we have to do that process. But it's it's a lot simpler if you can do it before the quarter ends. Gotcha. Makes sense. All right. That it concludes Ask Instructional, well, I'm going to say it right, Ask an Instructional Technologist. Um, in the future recordings, what we're hoping to do is have you uh, submit your questions that you'd like to be answered um, on our podcast. Uh, should they send it to multimobile at cw.edu? Do we even have that in the new Let's email? get it. Well, <laughs> yes, but we don't have it yet. Or stumpthechump.com. No, Delena, <laughs> I'm cutting all this out. No. So where should they send it? for real, at least until we get Multimobile as an email address. Um, we'll have it on the Multimobile podcast submission form on our website, cw.edu slash multimodal dash learning. Okay. So if they go there. There'll be a form and right. it'll, it'll be, we'll make it real flashy. Okay. And easy to spot. Okay. You heard it from Delana. And if you can't find it there, just send an email to Delena. 
or, or Chad. Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give it an email. I mean, I'm there. Chad. So Chad Schultz. Send me. I love emails. We write them every day. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that concludes our stump the jump. It's See instructional it technology. Oh, right. right. Thank you. You're welcome. So instead of having an advertisement here for something like Blue Apron, Mailchimp, or Casper mattresses. We're going to put a little ad for Multimodal Education Center. Also known as the MEC. Also known as the Create Lab. So uh, the MEC is a center on campus for uh, the entire community, faculty, students, or staff. And what we try to do is have uh, a place that you can come and experiment and experience innovative and emerging technologies such as virtual reality, augmented reality, 3D printing, laser cutting. Uh, we have a desktop CNC router. Um, called Garvey that you can check out. We also do uh, media production, digital media production. So it's really kind of a place for digital fabrication and media production. So video, audio, podcasting, that kind of thing. Um, we also have equipment checkout for faculty, students, and staff located in 118 currently. Um, That's you, in Samuelson. Samuelson as well. You can check out things like laptops, DSLR cameras, video cameras, tripods, 360-degree cameras, a lot of cameras, and uh, audio equipment. Do you have uh, a GoPro? GoPros, yep. We got some GoPros. We also have things like that you might not even think of, like um, we have a, what's called the Swivel Robot System, which allows you to use this little robot to follow you around a room while you're recording so you don't have to have a camera person with you. Hmm. Pretty useful, especially if you're doing classroom observation. Okay, right in the ed department. In the education department, they use a lot. So we also have services such as poster printing and uh, 3D printing. We have our, our website, which is cw.edu slash mec or slash multimodal dash education. And um, that'll take you to our, our current workshop schedule. This quarter, we'll probably be doing workshops on video editing, Photoshop, uh, 3D modeling, and virtual reality. And where did you say the Create Lab was? Create Lab is in 126 Samuelson. Samuelson 126. Correct. Okay, down the long hall in the oh. southwest corner. Yes. So we hope to see you there. Stop by. And if you have any questions, we'd love to answer them. of the Multimobile Podcast. I'm Delana Brecken, and I'm a Senior Instructional Technologist for Multimodal Learning at Central Washington University. I have with me uh, faculty Bruce Palmquist, Professor of Physics and Astronomy and the Department Chair. Bruce is also a former faculty fellow with Multimodal Learning. Bruce, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm honored to be the first guest. I feel like a pioneer. Absolutely. Um, so first, I wanted to just ask you what about your teaching philosophy. Can you share that with us? Sure. Well, especially when I'm teaching a class for the first time, uh, I want to figure out what it is the students are going to do. I usually know what the content is, so probably one of the first things is, well, what's the content going to be? But I really want classes to be interactive and active because students don't learn by listening. Students learn by doing something. So if I'm going to teach something, what are the students going to do that will help them learn the material better? And what can I, as an instructor, do to help them learn the material better? So I think of teaching. Teaching is not a passive thing. 
learning is not a passive thing. So what actions must each of us do, the students and myself? Will you share with us an experience, your, your best experience teaching with technology? One of the things that I like to do is have students work in groups, collaborate, and using technology as a way to facilitate that. So one example is when students work in groups, I have them peer evaluate each other. And pretty simple, I use them, uh, I have a Google form. Students fill out a Google form in which they can evaluate themselves and each other. What's nice about that is that information gets pushed to a spreadsheet and it's really easy for me to evaluate. Then I can use that data to give the students feedback. Notice, um, give them an email. I notice that your partners seem to be rating you lower than you rate yourself. Why is that? Oftentimes it's because they're not doing the work, but occasionally uh, a group of three, maybe the student that's getting rated lower is doing the work, but the other two students are saying, well, we're going to give ourselves a good grade and give this other person a relatively poor grade. So I think that's, uh, that's definitely one of my, um, I don't know if it's the best experience, but definitely a good experience. Yeah. So it worked well. The technology wasn't a hindrance. It was no. an easy flow for the students to figure out what they were doing, and it enhanced the classroom. It enhanced their learning because they were getting and giving feedback to each other, and so actively um, looking at the material and processing the material and giving each other feedback. A lot of people with technology and teaching, they're the first adopters, right? Something new comes along and they try it right away. And I don't really like to be that person because sometimes it can be a dead end for you, the instructor. You've just spent a lot of time and you spent a lot of time learning Betamax, right? Right. And Betamax <laughs> disappeared. Uh, so I like to be the one that maybe sits back a little bit in improv, one of the rules of improv is you say, yes, and. So you don't try to stop the flow. I think maybe my philosophy of technology is to say, no, and. Uh -huh. So no for now, and I'm willing to think about it and not even wait for somebody else to do it, but at least think about it myself and ponder how I could best use that technology in my classroom. Mm -hmm. share where things just went really awry because I think part of part of being willing to try new things and to you know um, experiment a little bit with new ideas you've got to be able to flop sometimes do you have any of those well one sort of funny one I guess it didn't quite go awry but it could have I've also taught in the studio classrooms where you wear a microphone and there's a camera one of the times I had my microphone and I went to use the restroom next door. <laughs> but luckily I realized it because I had taught enough, so I was familiar with them being, had the microphone being on. If it was the first time, I probably would have made sounds that shouldn't have gone out to <laughs> the other classrooms. But yes, uh, so that was something that almost went awry with technology. Uh, 
I use uh, an online homework system or a couple of different online homework systems. One of them is uh, Pearson uh, Publishing. They have mastering. We use mastering physics. There's also mastering astronomy. And I don't want to say that what their, their product is somehow a shortcoming because they build products that have all sorts of functionality in there. And oftentimes I will uh, set a virtual button incorrectly oh, and okay. students will try to submit homework and then it won't be submitted because I, I did something wrong. Or I say, yeah, this is great because once you turn in your homework, then you can see the answer key and it's, you get feedback right away. Students will email me or in class the next day, they'll say, uh, we couldn't see our feedback. And then I'll have to look and see what, what's up. Sometimes I can't even figure it out because, again, these systems, they're built for thousands of users and uh, thousands of users all want slightly different things, some of which I don't want, so I don't even think of looking at. Although interesting, now that uh, I thought of that as an example, this quarter in both of the classes I'm teaching in which we're using Canvas discussions, I must have done something to set it so the discussions were in the right area. They weren't in the closed section, but I did something so that they were closed for comments. I don't even know what I did. But uh, students, in one class, uh, a student emailed me because this was a class of students who had been at Central for a while. Another class, I had pretty much all freshmen who didn't know the system. Sure. They found a fix. They all started their own little discussion. Oh, interesting. That's because interesting. Because I had it set so students could start discussions. Yes. Uh, and at first, I, I looked at that, and I, I came to them in class because I hadn't figured out that I had done something that wrong. That it was closed. Right. I hadn't figured that out because the printing is in about three size font. It's really tiny in right. Canvas. Uh, so I came to them and said, oh, I see that you all started your discussion uh, as individual discussions. I must have explained something wrong. In the future, please reply to what I said. And they didn't say anything because they just listened to me. And yeah. Just, um, said, oh, I wonder why he's apologizing. What's he talking about? Because we tried to do that and it wasn't there. Right. And then I went back and looked, and probably it was because the other class had pointed it out first. I don't know if Canvas changed something different this quarter. I think that actually that's a problem that Canvas is having. Hmm. You're not the only class that all the discussions when you copy the course over are showing up as closed. They don't even look like they're in the closed. I mean, I've seen this more than once right, right. now, real fresh. They don't look like they're in the closed comments area, but... If you click on the three dots, it says closed for comment. Mm -hmm. So it's a bug. You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yes, I didn't do it. So I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to broadcast that. <laughs> oh. oh, man, I'm your first guest. <laughs> and I didn't do something wrong. That's yes. two rewards. Yes, right. Yeah, so, so that sounds like just, you know, little hiccups from um, different programs and settings where things, you end up, they weren't exactly as you had thought. I think the instructor needs to go with the flow. Rarely do professors make, or K-12 teachers make huge errors, even with technology. It's probably analogous to the old day you'd go into a classroom, you're a little bit late, and the person before didn't erase any of the chalkboards, and you wanted to go in there right away and write something because you needed to put that down. There was going to be a task. You needed to write the instructions, but you had to erase so much. Right. So those sort of little hiccups happen before, before big-time technology. 
you could argue whether chalk in a chalkboard is technology or not. Right. That'll be your philosophy of teaching podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a great way to look at it because it puts it more into. It's the same sort of struggles that teachers have had. It's just they're working with different tools. And I think that's true with as you look at technology. So do you feel like there's anything or do you have an example of any teaching innovation that you've developed or implemented that um, you really saw lit up your class or your students? Then um, that could be with technology or without a technology. Without technology, I think an important issue is having students work together uh, because the professor is the expert in the content and she or he usually knows more than anybody else in the class, but she or he oftentimes doesn't know as much as everybody in the class put together, certainly not about life in general. So I think it's important for students to work together. So that said, yes, students work together. You could say as the teacher, do this together. But I think one thing that's important is that the professor helps to set that up. So in my class, when I teach physics, students work on problems in collaborative groups, but I give them group roles. So ideally, they're groups of three. Uh, I think three is probably the best group size for sort of quick tasks. Mm -hmm. uh, second best, you could argue whether two or four. Two, there's the saying in teaching, nobody gets lost in a pair, but the pair together can get lost together and flounder more so than a larger group. Of course, five or more in a group, unless it's a longer task that's over many class periods in which you work outside, then that's way too big for an in-class activity. So three is the best. And I will give them roles. So uh, my standard roles are a manager, a recorder, and a skeptic. And you could do this uh, in a lot of different topics. You could probably think about what might be better roles. The recorder, that makes the most sense. They're the person that does the writing. They're the one that has the pencil or pen. So they put the ideas on the paper. They obviously participate in other ways as well in terms of solving the problem. The manager, her job is to make sure that things move along because I might be giving them something that takes a half hour on average and they only have a half hour of time or maybe they only have 20 minutes of time. Uh, so the manager has to make sure that things are moving smoothly. The manager is also the one that asks me the question. So if somebody else in the group has a question about something, they have to filter it through the manager. So that forces them to process before they reach me. And then the third person is the skeptic. And the skeptic is the one, sort of like the name says, they should question what's happening at each step. So why did we use Newton's second law here? Is that the appropriate thing to use? Could we apply energy principles instead? And the skeptic can also go to other tables and see what they're doing just to get some ideas from those, those other tables. And then I'll switch those group roles around. So I'll keep the groups intact, not necessarily for the whole quarter, uh, but for long enough, I don't change the groups every time because that gets way too chaotic. But then I'll switch it around and I'll randomize it. So uh, the first day it might be the person in the group who's got the earliest birthday in the year is the recorder. 
and then the next time it will be the person that has the second earliest birthday. So they cycle through the roles that way. And that really is mimicking what the brain does because when you're doing something individually, if you're solving a problem, your brain has to be the manager, the recorder, or it sends the signals to the hand and the skeptic. You yourself have to figure all those things out. But if you're learning physics or calculus or anything else for the first time, you've got to figure out how to do that. So one thing nice about assigning roles is the student then just practices that role. And then when they solve the problems themselves, oh, I've kind of, I kind of know what managers do. And I give them some sort of typical scripted, hokey lines of what a manager should say, what a recorder should say, what a skeptic should say. And then they should ask themselves those types of questions when they're working individually. Mm -hmm. So it helps them to sort of roadmap how they would solve the problems on their own doing the group work. And how have you seen, um, do you, does any example stand out of how students um, experienced that or that you saw them, saw light bulbs going off or, or just a different, you know, how, how the students responded to the framework that you've provided? The, the students do talk a little bit about how they solve homework problems and how they do on tests. Nobody's really said, wow, Bruce, putting us in those cooperative groups has really <laughs> made us the best students ever. You're the best <laughs> professor ever. But I do, I actually refer back to some of 